Prakash. Recording in progress. Let me invite Brother Prakash. On behalf of the Heartful Research Center, Brother Prakash uh, needs no introduction. He's been associated with the mission for a very long time. So, uh, over to you, sir. <clears throat> A late good afternoon and a early good evening, dear sisters and brothers. One more session at Crest. Heartfulness practice, a lifelong support system. I shared a few questions a few days ago through Brother Mohandas Day. Let me repeat those questions which forms the basis of uh, this session. What do you understand by a support system? Was the first question I had asked. The second question I had asked was, have you ever looked into how heartfulness practice can provide a 360 degree cover for our life from birth to death and even beyond. The third question was, how do you link the elements of practice to lifelong support system? By the definition of a support system, it might mean to several people, several things. But as human beings, though we all think we are highly independent and we love to be, right from the time of conception to the time of birth, the umbilical cord being cut to the cradle, to the time we grow through the various childhood states, move to an adolescent, to an adult, and move through the various stages of life, and finally land up in a grave. Though we would love to think we are independent, an identity that we all strive to seek, yet the dependence we all have all the time on several friends is something that cannot be ignored. Some of the support system is physical, some are mental, some are material, some are emotional, but if you look at entire life as if we are puppets in the hand of a puppeteer, we'll all really understand at some point of time in life, for some people it happens early, for some people maybe it happens much later in life, and unfortunately for many, we go back into the cycle of birth and rebirth 
without even realizing that uh, we were the puppets. Whereas we had been living a life thinking we are the puppeteers. The day we understand that a support system is essential. Imagine a world where you are alone and nobody else is there. Maybe the pain that Adam and Eve, according to Christian tradition, might have gone through of having literally no one can you even imagine your friends not being there, your family not being there, your very, very close blood relations, spouse, children not being there. Would we even be able to live? I remember the famous anecdote that Chariji Maharaj used to share of a person who used to call him every year on his birthday and would love to be blessed to live 100 years plus. At some point of time, Charij Maharaj got sort of bored with this request and apparently asked him, let's take it that I'm going to give you a life of 100 years, 200 years or whatever. Do you know what will happen? That person initially thought it was a blessing and he said, oh, Master, I'll be very happy. So imagine you're 100, already your, your sons and daughters have already died. Imagine you're 120 years, your grandchildren would have died. Imagine you're 140 to 150 years, your great-grandchildren would have died. Won't it be something that you would want to avoid? Then maybe the wisdom dawned on this person that long life is not necessarily a blessing. A long life specifically without a support system usually not a blessing at all. If you look at the heartfulness practice itself, it is just not a lifelong support system, but it is sort of a 360 degree cover that it provides for, for life. From the time of birth to the time of death. Those who have been into the practice for long, will know that at every turn of the life of a sadhak or an abhyasi or a heartfulness practitioner, there is always this invisible hand which is present. It is our ego sometimes that, not sometimes, many times that masks this invisible hand, making us think that we are the doer. And hence, though theoretically many of us understand all the nuances of the practice, it'd be like taking coal to Newcastle if I ask you the definition of any other spiritual literature of what heartfulness is. Many of us would have either practiced or at least memorized what our great masters have shared with us. In this session, let me look at not just linking, because I don't need to create a link. The link is already there. Like a beautiful photograph, which is covered with dust. All you have to do is remove the dust for the photograph's glory to be seen by the world. <clears throat> Likewise, 
I'm not going to link directly in terms of how meditation links back or how cleaning links back or how prayer links back or how constant remembrance or being in remembrance of the divine or in a state of meditative state as they say. I'm not going to share that at all. I'm going to take you through a completely uh, a different walkthrough. Something based on the old tradition of Hinduism, Sanatana Dharma. Long, long ago, before we even knew what life is, the sages and rishis of those days had beautifully bucketed what our life is. And they had created what is known as the ashramas or the stages of life. They had their own way of bucketing that may not or may be applicable today, but let's go through it one by one to see how it uh, connects back to the topic of the day. Heartfulness practice and the lifelong support system. Those who are familiar with uh, the olden literature of the ashramas or the stages of life, it is based on the age-old principle of four stages of life. It is discussed threadbare in several literature. How it connects back to the topic is something which is more interesting, which is what I intend sharing. And as I keep diving into the subject, if there are any questions that pop up, please do make a note of them. Hopefully we'll take it up towards the end to see how we can fill the gaps. The idea is to present a set of perspectives that we might not have seen till now. Of course, I have referenced a lot of literature for this, specifically from the old age scriptures in Hinduism. But I'll keep the technical aspect as minimum as possible. But connect more back to how heartfulness practice acts as a lifelong support system, seeing the prism of life through the ashramas or the stages of life as prescribed by Hinduism. According to them, from the time of birth till the time of death, they have made four buckets through which they believe every human tends to pass through or should pass through for a proper balanced living. But this may not necessarily be applicable for those who die early. Because there is a presumption or an assumption in this bucketing that you have a lifespan of between 60 to 80 years. We'll look at the exceptions later, but as of now, let's go through it as if we have a span of lifespan of about 60 to 80 years from the time we are born, either with or without a great base of health, physical health. The first stage of the ashrama is what they call as the student stage or brahmacharya as they call. 
the second stage of the ashrama is what they call as grihastha or the household stage. The third stage of life or the third ashrama as they call is vanaprastha or vanaprastha depending upon how you want to pronounce. Or they also call it as the hermit stage. When you become a recluse and go around searching for something. We'll, we'll come to this deeper dive a little bit later. The fourth one is what they call as the sannyasa or the wandering stage of an ascetic. They had some well thought out ideas about what life is during that times at least. It may not necessarily be applicable today in the same sequence. But at least for us to get a reference point about how they lived life, how they wanted to live a balanced, compelling life which covered various facets of life and to live each stage fully. Let's look at the first stage or Brahmacharya. During this time, it is assumed, which lasts up to the age of 25 years roughly, that you lead a life of celibacy or abstinence, as they call, and you are a student, not just a student, but you are a student of life. It is supposed to be the period of life for a boy or a girl to have a formal education lasting up to the age of 25 years or so. During this time, the ward, the boy, the girl, goes away from their home and stays with a guru or a teacher. And during this time, they are literally given a 360-degree view of life, spiritual, practical, material, Vedic, whatever knowledge is required including life skills. Whether you belong to any specific community, those days they had four communities at least based on what we call it the Varnashtra Dharma. Irrespective of who you are, you still went through this cycle. Whether you are a warrior or a Kshatriya or a Brahmana or a dispenser of knowledge as it's known or Vaisya, the traded community or the other one, which is supposed to be the service category. They all went through this life of staying with the Guru and learning all facets of life. Student predominantly had two major duties during this time. To learn the general and specific skills of his life. The second, which is more important, is the unwavering devotion to his teachers. It's not just one teacher they had, but it was like a gurukul, as they say. But they had multiplicity of teachers depending upon what their needs were. Like your current schooling system was indirectly borrowed from that. You have teacher for physics, you have teacher for chemistry, for language, things like that. And then you had a school principal. During this period, the Brahmacharya, as they are called, is completely prepared for the 
future life and the future profession, which is what they want to pursue in the life and for the family. They are also prepared for the spiritual and religious life ahead by sowing the seeds of what it needs for them to lead life from the time they leave the protective guidance of the teacher and step out to life. If you look at it differently, the word brahmacharya can also be said to be the time when you learn what Brahma or Brahman or Brahma Vidya is from the hands of a capable Acharya. As we all know, Brahma Vidya or the one who is in search of Brahma is truly a Brahmin. And Brahmacharya does not necessarily mean it's only one facet of life. If you look at it one way, the way you would look at heart region as the region which has all the points right up to 13th point connected through it. In one way through Brahmacharya, that phase of life is when you literally learn everything for the rest of your life. And it takes you through to the fourth stage when finally you become a sannyasi. What you have been taught theoretically, you practice in the other three stages of life. That way, Brahmacharya is the beginning and culmination of the knowledge that is needed for the rest of your life. And the next three stages is what you go through, ensuring that the knowledge that has been given to you, plus the additional knowledge that you need on the way, that you pick up as life teaches you. You don't have a separate teacher teaching you. You pick it up and then move on. How does the stage of <clears throat> Brahmacharya connect to heartfulness? Many of us in our own way are clear about what our practice is all about. The major practice has just three elements, to meditate, to clean, and to pray. But each has its own sub-elements leading into multiplicities, plots and subplots, as they would say. Throughout the stages of life, from the time you have commenced your journey in the heartfulness uh, practice by taking your three or more introductory sittings based on need, the elements of practice remain the same. What changes is the depth of the understanding. In my own life, when I read, I wouldn't even say read, I would say when I was forced to read in the initial stages, works like Reality at Dawn or My Master or Love and Death or Complete Workshop of Ram Chandra, which my perfect those days made me to read. I was not a great reader of literature, though while being inducted into the system, I did read the Principles of Sage Mark Volume 1, 2, and 3 to know that I'm not getting into the wrong path. But once I came in, I felt somehow that reading of literature was not really essential. That perception 
kept changing. When I read those literatures, initially I was asked to read and the prefect used to ask me even sometimes uh, testing questions about what did you read here, what did you read there. For me, it was like a school student wanting to pass an exam. Not knowing what life is, my idea was to mug it up and vomit, literally. If you ask me what Babaji Maharaj had said here or uh, Chariji had said there, I may be able to quote, but I may not really know. But years later, when I started rereading, specifically about a year and a half back when I put myself through the preceptor refresher program, when I read those literature, I literally had tears in my eyes because what I hadn't gathered or seen when I read them first seemed to be unfolding in front of my eyes. Did the book change? Did the literature change? No, they were the ones which were written 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. But my understanding had changed because of the the depths to which I wouldn't dare say I had gone, but I had been taken to by our masters. That is the beauty of our practice. The pearls are always there at the bottom of the ocean, but we don't necessarily always dive so deep. If you really look back at the first stage of the ashrama, the varnashrama stages of life, brahmacharya, specifically for those who are 15 and above, who are fortunate today to get inducted and take their introductory sittings and commence their heartfulness practice. Their future is shaped far, far, far better than maybe how mine was shaped. I was already nearing 30 when I got introduced to the system. When I met Shari Maharaj, he told me jokingly, you had wasted a lot of time, you should have started it early. And I jokingly told him that at least I have made a beginning now. Look at the world around us today. While scientific advancement, technological changes have brought happiness at your doorstep, as I would jokingly say, press a button and what do you need in life? Food, good dress, gadgets, whatever you name it, it's there. Right at your doorstep, you don't need to step out. Of course, if you have money. But with that, it also brings a plethora of problems, issues, challenges. If you look at the latest happenings, specifically in the pandemic times, drugs, stress, family discords, juvenile suicides, have you ever heard of juvenile heart attacks? One of my friend who is a doctor who is in that uh, profession keeps saying nowadays people below 30 have started contracting diabetes, hypertension, and BP. Diseases that maybe two, three generations ago were not even heard of or happened after you were 60, 70. 
at the other side of life. And that's where the beauty of the support system, the lifelong support system of heartfulness comes in. For a person who gets into the umbrage or under the umbrella of a capable guru with or without his knowledge, there are five things which happens specifically to those who are born in the second and third generation, if your father or your grandfather is already practicing, instead of being influenced or not being influenced by what they do, look at purely heartfulness as a way in which it can help you shape yourself. I have spoken to several youth who have fallen on the wrong side of life lived by liquor and drugs and gambling and whatever you want to call it. Very simply put, the adrenaline rush. When you really go near them and talk to them, you find there's such a huge emotional void in their lives. And in a sense of bravado, as they think it is, they jump into these rave parties and all those negative sides of life because they want to prove something to the world. They want to fill the lack of love and guidance that they couldn't get from their family or their close relatives or their friends or teachers. Imagine them being guided properly at the time of Brahmacharya. Why did I bring the topic of the four stages of Hinduism? Mainly because of this. Those days, the distractions were very less. Specifically, 500,000, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, what distractions you could have had compared to what we have today. Distractions would have been there, but would have been much more lesser. And under the capable guidance of teachers, they had a wonderful base set for the rest of the life. And that's where heartfulness makes a beginning. Why only for 15 and above, even for those below 15? Through these several elements of practice and the theoretical inputs that they can read from the books which are specially made for them, the literature made for them, the several videos made out for them by the talks of Daji and several other people. Finally, it's all how they feel they are handled and how the thinking is peppered with negative or positive inputs. Thinking and feeling are two essential elements of youth which have to be shaped properly right from the ring age. And this is where Heartfulness Lifelong Support System makes a beginning. As Lalaji Maharaj would say it, even from the time of conception, if you look at some of the programs that Heartfulness runs today, Heartful Mother or Divya Janani or there are several names, leave alone the nomenclatures. But the kind of support a child gets. I was fascinated by the story of what Abhimanyu went through. And of course, what he was also denied. And fortunately for us, when my wife was pregnant, she happened to be a volunteer those days in a different way. 
because of my proximity to Chwariji Maharaj. He had those days, I'm talking about 94, 95, given me the task of recording his informal conversations. I used to carry a very small Sony micro cassette recorder, very, very small. I bought it exclusively for using with him and it could record up to 120 minutes or so per, per uh, tape. I used to carry one or two multiple tapes in packet and maybe a couple of spare batteries. This became the food for thought for my daughter to be born. My wife used to transcribe these talks. It came as a series called Here and There in Constant Remembrance several years back. It ran for a few years. All were the informal conversations which had been recorded and while transcribing that, she used to share wonderful, even in a recent talk which is on YouTube, she had shared about this. She used to get vibrations from the child was and said, we didn't know it was going to be a boy or a girl. But we could see, after all, imagine the mother to be the child in the stomach, listening to the guru's voice. It was like Lord Krishna talking to Abhimanyu. What more can you really ask for? Our masters have designed systems. If you're really smart, whether somebody in your family is pregnant or your neighbor is pregnant, take it upon yourself. If they are not people who believe in our practice, go and sit and just meditate in their presence or read something from the literature of masters about bringing up child and things like that. If not, Anything else, at least read to them about love, compassion, affection, positive relationship, positive parenting, and things like that. They would be grateful to you for life. When you put through this Brahmacharya stage, from the time they are 15 years when they commence their meditation practice, or even earlier when they are exposed to our literature and things like that, there are five things I have seen which happens for youth, which acts as a lifelong support system. You might not have been able to bracket it till now like this, but once I share this, you will be able to connect. With or without the knowledge, the first thing that happens for a person below the age of 25, I am just equating, not necessarily in the same age sequence, for the sake of the same bucketing, what Hindu ashrama, the, the various stages of life connects, the first one that happens is development of bhakti in our hearts. When you have bhakti in your hearts, bhakti for the highest represented through the incarnate master, would your mind waver onto unnecessary things? In all probabilities, no. Even if you happen to be exposed to that, you know how to stay away from it. It's not that we practitioners of the heartfulness are not exposed to that. We are exposed when we watch TV or WhatsApp forwards or news channels or newspapers or sometimes our own making. 
those temptations. But quickly we recollect ourselves and say that, no, this is not, I'm not supposed to be getting into this. The second one that forms is what I would call as great amount of devotion. Devotion to two things. Devotion to the teacher, not just the spiritual teacher, but anyone who teaches them, and devotion to the goal. Because from the time you are exposed to heartfulness practice, Babaji Maharaj in his 10 maxims has beautifully interwoven the concept of goal setting. When your mind is, as even reading yesterday, his definition about desires, he said desires are those things which come up when your mind is off the highest goal. When your mind is on the highest goal, you have nothing but devotion to the goal and to the teacher who taught you that. And that brings in a sense of commitment. So two things that happen for sure, as I mentioned, bhakti and devotion. The third thing, you get goal and role clarity. You know what the goal in life is. And you aim for the highest goal. The rest of the goals happen on the way. And the role clarity happens that I know exactly to attain this goal what I must do in my life. The fourth one that happens in a very relaxed way, not like army, but it automatically, through a sense of automatism, through a sense of being goal-driven, what happens is that we become disciplined. As Babi Maharaj would say, a disciple is one who is disciplined. When that discipline comes, we automatically tend to comply with the requirements of values and living. The fifth point that accrues to a youth who is not yet married, let's put it that way, through the practice of heartfulness is, he is now in a perfect doer stage. There are four stages and I'll be sharing each of the stage for each one. For the first one, for Brahmachari, for a youth who is into heartfulness practice in the lifelong support system. He learns the art of being a perfect doer. A sort of attached attachment, it's okay. At that age, you don't expect to be completely devoid of expectation of the result. It's perfectly fine. So to sum it up for the Brahmachari stage or people who are youth, who are exposed to heartfulness practice indirectly or directly. Bhakti, devotion, goal and role clarity, being disciplined, and the perfect doer stage or attach, attachment happens. The second stage of the ashrama, also called as the grihastha, is also known as the household stage. Typically, we enter this when you tend to get married. By this time, in the olden days, you are pursuing a profession. In the current stage of life, we assume that you are pursuing a job or a business if you are an entrepreneur. You tend to undertake the responsibility of earning a living and supporting a family. That's what Grihastha is. You are not someone who runs away from the family without being married or after being married, but you take responsibility. 
as Charji Maharaj once mentioned, there are two things that you automatically build up as a rest, the tolerance and patience, leading to acceptance. At this stage, we also learn the practice of dharma, being a rest, the dharma or values or whatever you want to call it. So dharma or my set of values, which I would love to uphold, what is right for me, what is wrong for me. Or if you look at the Ashtanga Yoga, the Yama and Yama stage, all this automatically tends to become the fabric of living for a grahastha. You look for material gratification or artha as it's called. And also a little bit of procreation happens, what you would call as karma. But all this, those days used to happen under defined social and cosmic norms. When I say cosmic norms, Hinduism dives very deep. If you happen to read on the net later, even the sanctity of the husband-wife relationship was maintained. It was for bringing down a soul into this world for further progress that the sacred act of procreation was performed. That's why it's called as a cosmic norm. Social norms of being a husband and wife, perfectly accepting each other and living for each other. Within the norms laid out by the society was also considered an important aspect. And for all this, the base was laid during the Brahmacharya time when you went into a Gurukul. Today's equivalence could be a boarding school. You are left in the school when you are three or four, and you come out after you do your undergrad or whatever, the age of 18 or 20, something like that. This is something that is supposed to last up to the age of 50, roughly, plus or minus. And according to the Manusmriti or the laws of Manu, it is said that when you start your skin starts wrinkling a bit and your hair turns gray is when you are supposed to move from the second stage to the third stage. Of course, in these stages of high levels of pollution, these are not necessarily factors. And heartfulness practice, as I would conclude towards then, will show you how to blend all the four aspects at any stage of life. Clearly, look at Grahastastrama, Grahastastage, the lifelong support system through the deeper and deeper levels of practice that we have in heartfulness teaches us four things and we start exhibiting them. Add this to the five that we already picked up from the Brahmacharya stage. Now you are married, your wife could be a practitioner, may not be a practitioner, you have children. Based on how you live a life, they may be inspired to get into the practice. But irrespective of all these four things tend to happen. Bhakti becomes a deeper aspect and you start becoming love. From the stage of the loving who loves all, you move to the love all whom you love stage. So the first aspect of lifelong support system which is extended to you by the practice of heartfulness, by 
practicing it deeper and building on our character building blocks, as Lala Maharaj would say. You also gain two more aspects, tolerance and acceptance. Initial stage of wedding, it is tolerance. Then it moves on to cheerful acceptance. And as Daji recently started saying, even cheerful acceptance is a difficult process. Why do you have to cheerfully accept? Which means there is an other end, grudgingly accepting. So you just move on to acceptance. Whatever happens, accept. Very easy to say, but Grastha stage of life teaches you that. And when you do it based on love and tolerance, acceptance becomes all the more interesting. And that leads us to the stage of observer. From a doer, now in Brahmacharya stage or the stage of youth, we become a grahastha and we are now moved to the stage of observer. We are still attached to the family, our children, our spouse, maybe our aged parents. And if there are any dependent sisters, brothers or nephews, niece who live with you. But you move into stage from attached attachment to attached detachment. And when we move to the next stage, which is called as the Vanaprastha or Vanaprastha, Vana here stands for the forest. Or when you become a, a recluse or a stage of hermit. In current parlance, you can call it as a retired life. At the age of 55, 60, whenever you quit working, you retire. Of course, these days, elderly people, thanks to the current social system, dread retirement because from their home, they are now dumped into an old age home. Those things apart. Vanaprastha is considered to be the stage of gradual withdrawal. When you start contemplating, it also connects back in another talk someday, maybe in future, I'll connect the Ashtanga Yoga and the fourth stage of Hinduism. I have it in my mind as well. You move into the stage of withdrawal and contemplation. Dharana, Pratyahara, all that happens. The duty as a householder has technically come to an end, not because you are not earning anymore, but your next generation has taken over. You have become a grandfather, maybe. And your children have established their lives and they're ready to support you. After all, you have supported them at the wedding because of the love, tolerance, acceptance, and all the qualities that you have picked up and hopefully have imbibed in your children, inspired them to imbibe. You all live together as a joint family. One of the most powerful systems in India, which today, unfortunately, is giving way to a nuclear family. You tend to, not because you have to, but you tend to give up your physical, material, and procreational pleasures because your mind is not withdrawn to a higher thinking. You start thinking, you find what is the purpose of life. That should be something more. In the olden days, of course, a person who went to the Vanaprastha did not go alone. He took his wife with him because it was supposed to be his bounden duty not just to go alone, but to take his wife along till the end. 
that is what the varnashrama dharma or the ashrama or the stages of life had actually prescribed but due to the current society pressures and things like that even people living together for 20 30 years the famous joke charge maharaj used to say that once he went to europe along with solochana mami's wife when he was asked how long he is married you are married together he had said something like 25 30 years and the person jokingly asked to the same person that is the stage in which those days western civilization was but today even in india it has become like that whereas vanaprastha says hold your wife's hand the way you held it at the time of marriage and move to the sunset stage of life look at vanaprastha the hermit stage when you go into a sense of withdrawal and start introspecting about what to do next how to connect to the higher purpose to the divine for a heartfulness practitioner this is just a stage of life which they just dive like fish to water they take as if it's they are fish to water there are two things that tends to happen for sure by this time you have more or less become a sthitapragya a person who is balanced under all circumstances who is not swayed by any dualities anymore because life is such it has now almost come a full circle you are the king once now you are no more the king your children are taken over you may be respected you may not be respected you may have money you may not have money you may have the people flocking to you you may not have your children coming to you but because of your ability to be focused on the highest for which you came into this world you reach a state of sthitapragya and bhakti and love that were there in the first two stages now fuses together and takes you to the stage of absolute saranagati surrender not just theoretically even practically not even a leaf moves in this world for you without him blessed are those who reach that stage earlier too it's not essential in heartfulness which i'll share in a few minutes from now that you need to be old to reach this stage even within a few weeks or months of practice you can reach this stage where the master embraces you and puts you in the mental womb and delivers you in whatever period it takes creating a spiritual entity for you and in this stage a heartfulness practitioner becomes initially it was a doer from there he became an observer now you become a witness as lord krishna would say when you are able to become a witness life becomes so easy and being a sthitapragya becomes so much easier everything is joyful everything is bliss you have now more or less crossed the ocean of religion and spirituality and reality and maybe even nearing the end of bliss 
you are now in a stage of detached attachment, like the lotus leaf amidst the water in a pond. The fourth stage of sannyasa, which technically is the culminating stage of life for though he might still continue to live with his wife in an ashrama or in a distant place in a forest, finding his own way to God realization. It is also called as the realization stage of dharma, whatever dharma or purpose of life is. For many, it is supposed to be God realization. You become completely devoted to God. Think of God. Do things only pertaining to what would make your beloved happy. Speak about him. Spread his message. Things like that. You don't have a single home, but wherever you go becomes your home. That's what a sannyasi is for. You don't have worldly ties, not mentally at least. You may still have your children, grandchildren. But your only sole concern is now to merge with your beloved at a lowest level of moksha or at the highest level of completely having your individual pralaya. When you look at a person who goes through these four stages and dies, of course, the funeral is still performed by his children or grandchildren who is present. But the fourth stage of the ashram or sannyasa connects beautifully with the heartfulness. If you're able to reach this stage much earlier in life, the stage of sthita and even crossing over, now you reach a stage Nothing else other than him matters. Him with a capital H. You are in a perfect stage of detached detachment. Even if you are hurt, you are able to watch it as if you are in a state of living dead. When it comes to heartfulness, Fortunately for us, we don't need to go through the four stages of the ashramas as Hinduism had prescribed those days. Because they had bucketed it and they had mentioned it at the beginning that for a heartfulness practitioner, there is something called as a fusion which happens. All four comes together in one single stream and it's available to you as Lalaji Maharaj would say, just being a Krasta would still be able to sail through all the stages and get to the level of a sannyasi, a person who is perfectly in remembrance of the God, of his beloved, of the incarnate master. And there are no overlapping stages in his life. All four have merged together. From the day of the first sitting, the second and the third, when normally the sitting completes. If you dive deeper into the practice, number of years doesn't matter. In fact, if you would know 
many people who start the practice think to a great extent that they made the choice. But when Siddhaji also mentioned, Chariji Maharaj also mentioned that in some way you are preordained to be here already. All souls are, but in this birth for sure, you are being preordained to be here which means the work has started much, much, much earlier, even in your earlier birth or the previous births. Somewhere it has happened. And you are able to connect back into the practice of what heartfulness is. Hence, if you really look at the lifelong support system of heartfulness practice, whether you accept or whether you don't accept, the sustenance is always there. The child in the womb of the mother neither can deny nor can understand the existence of the mother. The kangaroo in the pouch of its mother may not even know the kind of protection that's being given. Like that, we all sail through life as heartfulness practitioners, continuously tapping into the lifelong support system that's being offered by our masters and by the system. Fortunate are those who are able to be sensitive enough to decipher and find out and be joyful, be in gratitude to the masters for what is being offered. It's a beautiful system and words would uh, fail for me to express rightly as to what it really means to me. I've shared a gist of what heartfulness practice offers as a lifelong support system by looking at it purely from the four stages of the ashram. And I hope I have connected the dots for you. And I am thankful to the Crest team for offering this uh, platform for me to share these insights. And right now, I am open for any question answers if there are to come. Thank you. Thank you very much. Brother Prakash, for this wonderful session. Uh, Brother Prakash explained uh, in detail the four stages of the ashram of life as per the Hindu tradition, the Brahmacharya, uh, the Grihast, the Vanaprast, and the Sanyasi. Uh, he explained how the heartfulness system provides not just a lifelong support, but like a 360 degree support to all of us. And it is our duty to dive deep into the various aspects of practice and literature. So I'll open up to uh, anyone who has questions. You can please uh, uh, maybe post a question in the chat box.